Welcome to the Help Me Abide podcast, a program dedicated to helping you have a closer walk with God by sharing biblical truths and relatable testimonies of women who have overcome. Whether you're a seasoned believer or just starting your spiritual journey, this podcast has something for you. Each episode will supply encouragement and wise practical advice to inspire and challenge you to abide in the one who has all the answers to life's questions. A woman who abides in the shadow of the Almighty is a woman who lives safe and secure. Sit back and enjoy a few minutes of positive conversation with your host, Jennifer Beale, and friends. Help me abide in the one who has the power. Help me abide each day and every hour. Remind me that without you, my efforts are in vain, so that others will Welcome to the Help Me Abide podcast. Today's episode, we are thrilled to have Katie Malucci as our guest. Katie is a faithful missionary who has dedicated her life to serving the people of Bulgaria. She has been living on the mission field for over 20 years, working tirelessly to proclaim the gospel to the Bulgarian people. Through her family's ministry, over 2 million homes in Bulgaria have been personally given a John and Romans, along with a gospel track. Katie is soft-spoken and would never clamor for attention. Instead, like Mary, she ponders things deeply in her heart. I personally loved having this conversation with her. The more I know her, the more I admire her. She has 13 children here on earth and five babies in heaven. Join us as we learn more about her inspiring journey and the incredible work she is doing to help those in need of Jesus. Welcome listeners. I'm excited to introduce you to Missionary to Bulgaria. Katie Malucci. Katie, welcome to the Help Me Abide podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. What I do know about Katie is that she has 13 children, which to me is like hashtag goals. I always (laughs) wanted a big family. That's not what the Lord had for me. But every time I see somebody with a big family, I am so impressed. So Katie, tell us how old is your oldest and how young is your youngest? Yes, our oldest will be 23 in August. He just graduated from Bible college and our youngest is two and a half, Mr. Enzo. Wow. Mm -hmm. What a range. What a range there. How many boys and how many girls? So we have 11 boys, two girls. The Lord gave us seven boys in a row before he threw us a giant curveball and gave us a girl and then another girl after that. So I always think that's sweet that they're together, kind of a little team effort there against the boys. So two against 11. Yes. It's good odds. Well, we joke, it's we good odds. joke about that, that, you know, if you have one girl, that's worth like three boys. Much more challenging in our opinion. So I guess that does help the odds because then it makes it six against 11. So they... Right, right. There you go. So I have three boys and I feel like they're all leaders and strong and mm-hmm. doers and high energy. So I just can't imagine having having 11. <laughs> Yeah. But also, I feel like my heart is so endeared to my boys yeah. as a mom of boys. I've really enjoyed that. Yes, especially as they've grown. And that was something that was very hard when we started sending them off to college because we sort of grew our really good friends. And yes. then we had to send them away. So 
when you sent your first son to college? Was that really hard for you? I feel like I was ready. Like I'd mentally prepped for our first one. And even Rocco, our second, it wasn't so bad. But then our third, Johnny, I don't know, something about him leaving. We had just had our last child. We have now Enzo. So I don't know if it was the birth combined with him leaving, combined Mm -hmm. with – they were the first three we brought over when we moved. I don't know what it was, but that was the hardest transition. That was a really hard time. My son is a senior in high school right now, and I am really trying to mentally prepare Mm -hmm. because I agree with what you said. There just becomes a friendship, Mm -hmm. and it's like you're losing your friend, and I just know – that all of the love that he has for me, he is going to transfer to his future wife, which I totally want him to do. But it's not something that is easy for me. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. I just know that that's going to happen. It just is hard. One of the things that I purposed to do before our oldest left was to really invest time because I knew it was going to be gone yeah. and I didn't want to sit around feeling sorry for myself. So we would go out every week and just be together just so that I had time with him and we talked and our boys are talkers. Yeah. We talk a lot. So, um, that was something I sort of started and I've tried to keep up with the others so that once they were gone, I felt like I really did what I wanted to do. And now I can let go better. Right. No regrets. Yeah. That's good. That's good advice for me. I need that. Katie, describe what your childhood was like. Okay. I would say in one word that my childhood was very stable. I grew up in the country of Western New York, dairy farms and rolling green hills and apple orchards. When I was about four years old, we moved to the church where I was all of my years. When I was six, we moved to the house that I was in until I got married. So it was just a really stable setting. The Bible is my foundation. I knew that Jesus was the way to salvation. Those were never questions in my mind. So when I was five years old, I was ready and willing to accept salvation when the little primary teacher there, you know, invited us to go do that. Mm. And so I did. I got baptized when I was either five or six. I can't remember. My father, who is in construction, actually helped build the new building when we started needing a new building. So that was a pretty special memory. We went and laid the floor plans together and um, and then that was the building that I spent most of my time in where I got married. Hmm. And so just a really stable, stable upbringing. When I was 14 years old, that was around the time where I really began to consider what God wanted for my life. And I believe it was around that time where I, fo- I just fully surrendered my life to God. And then that was the time where I really started to get to know God on my own. My family, we were faithful churchgoers. We've all accepted Christ as far as I know. But the majority of them really didn't decide to live as Christians. So this was something I sort of stepped out on on my own, not knowing I was stepping out on my own to do it. But I I wanted to know who God was, and I wanted him for myself. And getting out alone and being with God, my Father, my Savior, and getting to know him on my own. Our youth group, I would say, was, you know, lukewarm at best. There were a couple, maybe three or four young people along with me, and we just were burdened about that. And we had decided during our break time at school, if the principal would allow, 
that we would go pray for our students, for our youth group, for our church, whatever hmm. the Lord had led us to pray for. One of the guys and girls were actually dating. So the, the principal was kind of like, okay, whatever, you know, <laughs> sure, you're going to go pray. Because it was, there's was two choir ready rooms and they were like right next to each other in the auditorium. Yeah, yeah. But he led us. And um, oh, that's funny. It was a really special time that I look back on now. At the same time, I always like to include this because it's such a beautiful part of God's story for us. But at the same time, my husband was about an hour and a half away. I'd never met him. I had no idea who Nick Malucci was or the Malucci family. But um, his dad was pastoring in a little city church in Syracuse. He, it was about the time he turned 16 years old. And when he was 16, he sort of woke up on his birthday and was like, you know, if this Christian thing is real, then it's for me and I'm going to go in all the way. And so it was about that time where he committed himself to get to know the Lord and began to walk with the Lord and ask the Lord for specific things. So we were actually the same age, you know, an hour and a half apart from each other, never having met where the Lord was drawing us to himself in such a beautiful way. And so he had a list of W's he began to pray for. I think it was seven different W's. Hmm. And I don't remember any of them except for the one that I found important, which is wife, because he was praying for his wife. So, of course, I remember that one. Yes. But, um, there was a couple that was like, where to go. And I don't remember the other W's, but that was what he had began praying for. So um, his father, who was pastoring there at the time, he had committed to five years at this church in Syracuse when he, they took it on. He reevaluated and he said, we're going to move to just sort of be a help in a church somewhere else. So they were considering three churches in the New York State area. And one of them happened to be ours, which honestly, now that I know the other possibilities and who the families were and stuff and the connections that they had, I have no idea why they ended up at ours because it really wasn't the best possibility. But the Lord led them. They came and visited one night. And I remember them being there that one night. And on their way home, his dad told everybody in the van on the way home, it's going to be Palmyra. We're moving to Palmyra. So they moved to our church. And within two weeks, my husband had seen me and decided that she's the one. So he asked me to sit by him in church. For whatever reason, I said, go ask my dad. I don't know why I said that to this day. My dad never made me do that, but I was like, go ask my dad. So he was like, okay, where's your dad? And off he went. So he had no problem with that. So we sat together and for him, it was history after that. Like he was settled. For me, I'm a much slower mover. So it took me a while, Mm. but um, that was the beginning of our together. I find that to be a huge answer to our prayers because it wasn't just I met my husband, but their family came and brought a new excitement and joy and spirit to the church. Mm. My husband, he was on fire. He was motivated. Mm. So he came in with a fire and and it spread to our youth group and to the point where they were having all-night prayer meetings, the young men. Soul winning was the most exciting thing to do in our, mm-hmm. you know, our youth group was, we were all getting on board. So it, it shifted completely from lukewarm, maybe one or two spiritual kids, whatever, you know, to now the cool thing is living for God. It really became that. So then he went off to college and in my mind, I fully expected him to look around and date or like he hadn't made up his mind yet. And his mind from what he has said, he's never even considered anybody else. So Aww. it was like, yeah, which is so sweet. So I didn't know it that. Is. Yes. Yes. So, you know, I love he's that. A, he's a one and done kind of guy. And I'm grateful too. more as time mm. goes by. 
so he was in college that first year and I was home and he hates talking on the phone, like hates it. I don't necessarily love it, but I don't hate it as much as him. So he would get a roll of quarters <laughs> back in the day when we had pay phones, you know, he would write, literally write out a list of things to talk about, put in the quarters, call me, go through the list and be like, well, that's all. I'll talk to you next week. <laughs> wow. That was that first year. And then I went off and joined him at Bible college and we, we got engaged the Christmas of my sophomore year and got married that half I was halfway through he had one year left and then mm-hmm. I was expecting a baby all of my junior year wow I was expecting right you know pretty quickly three months after and then I had a baby my senior year but we finished we stuck it out and wow. then we jumped in there right into deputation within just a few months we had left Indiana thank the Lord God bless those people who live there I don't understand I graduated 2001 and we were on the field in July of 2003. That is amazing. So Katie and I actually went to school one year together. So her senior year, so she would have already had a child by then. Mm-hmm. Your senior year was my freshman year. So I do remember Katie, um, but I have an awful memory. I remember who she is, but nothing about her. And I don't remember that year at one bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet you didn't. Being a senior, forget it. There was nothing. Oh, forget (laughs) it. So I graduated. I had finished college and Brett had two more years left of college when we got married. And I remember calling my mom being pregnant with my first. And I asked her, you know, all these sorts of questions, trying to prepare myself for having a baby. And my mom said, I'm sorry, I don't remember anything. Um, She had five children. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, mom, this is kind of... uh, a huge moment in your life. Like, how can you not remember this? You're not being a resource to me at all. And now looking back, I can't tell you a thing about those years of my life. So (laughs) sorry for being mad at you, mom. We had a fire lit under us that was awesome Mm. by our training and the teaching we were given. But then (laughs) we were sent out to do, (laughs) like, what were we doing? We didn't know nothing, you know, here we are dumped out across the world in the middle of the wilderness with little babies and just my husband and I literally were just figuring each other out. We didn't know each other well at all. We were horrible communicators. So it took us a good while. Yeah. And so it was college and bus route and deputation and getting ready to go. And then we're on the field. Yeah. And so we land four years later from marriage and all of this. We had three babies. Wow. It was literally like shaking hands and saying, hello, I'm Katie. Hi, I'm Nick. It's nice to meet you. Let's get to know each other now. No kidding. That is one beautiful thing that I miss miss about the mission field is it slows everything down. For for us anyway, when we were in Africa, Mm -hmm. it took away all of the busy. And we really got to get to know each other. And I think it was really beneficial for us to go right out of college because we decided what we believed and why we believed it without any influence from either sides of the family and from any really church. Yes. We had to, to really decide who we were. I think that was powerful because, again, I there was no influence. It was yes. just God. It was just, what are we going to do according to this book that we have? How are we going to establish our family? So I think that that is a huge benefit to the mission field. Oh, that's a really good point. Absolutely. I agree 100%. In retrospect, can you see God preparing you in your childhood in any particular way to be a missionary? Yes. Yes, I can. Practically, there's a lot of practical things, and that's 
my middle name. <laughs> I like to say pragmatic. My husband taught me that word and it sounds a lot better than practical. It which does is sound fancy. Thank you. So my mom, she grew up Mennonite and so she always cooked from scratch and is a whiz in the kitchen and sewing and quilting and all those things. So I was around that all the time. I, I did take marriage and motherhood in um, college, which was very helpful. Mm-hmm. I use it every day, every day of my life. But I remember like taking cooking, beginning cooking, and we were learning to make things like muffins and, and biscuits and bread. And some yeah. of these girls from inner city or whatever, they, they'd never even seen homemade bread. Like they didn't know what, they, what to do. And I just remember thinking, wow, that's, I didn't know there were families like that because I just took it for granted. My mom always had a garden. She canned things. She froze every year. And then my mom, I would say, was a tremendous example of submission for me. Hmm. So I had that huge advantage. That was already foundational for me. It's not something I had to like learn from the Bible, oh, and then try and put into my life because it was I'd seen it. I'd seen right. it and I thought that was normal. Yes. When I saw women who were overbearing and running their husbands, like I didn't even know that was a thing because wow. my mom was a really good example. So that was just something I was given. Definitely not normal, yeah. I would say, <laughs> in America. <laughs> In this day and age, definitely not normal. So I would say that's definitely a gift. Um, I had traditional schooling, which I look back as being a blessing because I I homeschool our Mm. children. So I wasn't necessarily, I'm not a teacher. I wouldn't call myself a teacher, but, um, and I didn't take teaching in college. That was one reason I didn't take it. I wasn't really interested, but the Lord has had me be our children's teacher for many years. So I have the, you know. I've had that foundation. Um, and then I think just being stable, the stability I grew up with. My husband travels a lot. He's had many opportunities to be in other countries with other missionaries. For years, our ministry brought us back and forth to Turkey all the time. Oh, wow. Um, and then now their their work takes them around the villages of Bulgaria every month and on the weekends. And so he's gone a lot back and forth. And for most of those years, I needed to be home with babies, keeping it going, you know, keeping the home fairs burning. Literally. Right. So that's a, that wasn't hard for me. I'm not a, I don't need to be out and socialize. I'm not a socialite. I didn't need to be busy um, interacting with people here and there because of my upbringing. So I know those are things that the God, that God put into my, my training. Oh, for sure. For his purpose. Yeah. I love it. I love when you could see the threads come together. Once you're living your purpose, then you could see, oh, Mm -hmm. this is why you did that. And this is why you did that. And I love to look back at that. Yeah. I think that could be very powerful. Mm -hmm. Explain how God convinced you that serving on a foreign field was his will. This was a really interesting question for me. And I felt like it was really the opposite. Um, the command in the Bible is to go into all the world and pre- preach the gospel to every creature. Yeah. And the command, it's not something that's specific for a certain right. person or group of people. So I think for me, it was more a matter of, you're going to have to convince me, God, that this isn't what you want. Mm. I'm sort of one of these look down the path people. You know, in the 80s, communism was the threat and Russia always on the horizon. So I think that's one reason I would always think of Russia as a missionary and ah. cold, dark blocks and all the things that we would hear that were so bad about it, which actually Bulgaria is not far removed from that. So that was like what my 
my vision of being a missionary was. It wasn't ever hmm. Africa or China or South America, mm-hmm. any of those countries or that kind of climate for some reason. And I, I guess the Lord did that for me. Hmm. But for me, it was a matter of fighting the surrender to my comforts and my flesh and wanting the ease and security family that yeah. that America would offer. Like, you know, it sounded good to stay and be the pastor's wife or to sure. just work in a church somewhere. So those were the things that I fought and finally surrendered. So when did your husband decide that he was going to be a missionary? So um, not long after his 16th birthday, he was invited to a youth conference in Oklahoma. Brother Vineyard had a youth conference Mm -hmm. down there every year. And he didn't have the money to do it, so a friend of his paid his way. Hmm. And he heard a man, Brother Benel, he had just been to Russia and the Ukraine, and, and the curtain had just fallen. And his sermon was all on the fruit is ripe, ready to pick. The harvest is now, and we just need to go and get it. It's ready. Mm. And, he, and he was spot on, by the way. He was spot on. He was right. The Mormons went in. They were ready. A lot of the other sects wow. went in, and they were ready, but we were not. So we, we missed a lot of that. So that was when my husband surrendered to the mission field. At the time, he was thinking Russia. But in Bible college, he took missions courses. Brother Doug Caleb taught at that time, and he mm-hmm. was going to countries of the world. He just went through alphabetical order. That's what it was. So he had started with A, and when they got to Bulgaria with the Bs, that whole class, my husband couldn't couldn't control himself, and he just knew that was the place he was going to go. Wow. So we were engaged at the time. So he came and told me after, like he was really excited. He came and sat me down on a bench. He's like, this is where we're going to go, Bulgaria. And I'm like, oh, great. Where's oh, Bulgaria? Oh, fantastic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> never heard of Bulgaria. So he literally got a map out to show me, like, this is where we're going to go. So from then on, that was our direction. Yeah. To me, it's nice that God makes it so clear. And when God makes Mm -hmm. it so clear, like you said, yes, we'll fight against our flesh that wants the comforts and the securities, but the ultimate decision we have is, are we going to surrender or not? God's made it clear. Are we going to surrender or not? And he's been so good to give me specifically things like that through my husband. Yes. Well, thank God, because I can hold to that when everything else is turbulent around me. Exactly. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. And I helped to that a lot when we were in Africa. I didn't understand or I was struggling. I could say, I know God wants me to be here right now. And whatever happens, happens. That is definitely a security that the Lord has been gracious to be clear to us in every place that we went. So I'm definitely grateful for that. What challenges have you faced while living in Bulgaria? Wow, I didn't even know, like, how do you list? I feel like the challenges are different every year, so there's always a new thing. Sure. <laughs> yes. So I just thought back to when we started. I mean, we moved with three babies. Santino was two and a half. Rocco was a year and a half. And then Johnny had just been born. He was six weeks old. So I'm assuming you guys are Italian? My Yes, my husband's Italian. Okay. So I'm Italian too. My maiden name is Guarneri. My sister's son's name is Gino. Oh. <laughs> and I love all your kids' names. And I'm like, yes. and you're from New Jersey. <laughs> I'm from New Jersey. That's right. right. <laughs> and you're oh, from New York. Cool. So definitely lots of connections. I'm sorry. So continue. Yes. You had three kids. Yes. Yes. So the the things that I wrote down that kind of stuck out when we first moved there, really, it was the people. I think I expected 
the physical issues, you know, like certain comforts to be without or out of air conditioning or your water backs up, what that kind of stuff. Physically, I think I was mentally ready for all of that. Mm-hmm. The people I didn't expect to be the way that they are. Yeah. And they are, they're cold mm-hmm. and sad and mean and they are not open and they're not mm-hmm. trusting and they do not trust their closest friend. They don't. Wow. There's no trust. So they don't know what that means because of communism and and years of oppression before that, their history. But I didn't understand that for a long, long time. And it was a good four or five years of just really resenting the people and God putting me here among these awful people. I think it was a missionary had told Becky Martin when she moved, you will at first love the Filipino people very much, and then you will dislike them very, very Mm -hmm. much. And then you will learn to know them. Yes. Over time. Mm. And I don't know that I ever really liked the Bulgarian people very much. Like I didn't go through that first phase. Yeah. But over time, I have learned to understand the people, why they are the way that they are. And then my biggest breakthrough, I think, finally came when I learned to stop taking it personally. I took Mm. everything personally. So if they rejected me in a certain way or they were mean to our kids or they were just rude – it was always personal. And the fact is they do that to everybody. That's how they mm. interact with every person, their own mother, right? So I don't know, sort of an awakening or, of realizing sure. that the Lord finally brought me to that it's not all about you, first of all, Katie, but then this is just who they are. You just have to accept it and move on. Yeah. That was a big challenge. And then loneliness, I think, was very, very hard at first. That more than I realized it would be. We were on the field for a good two or three years before I saw my family. Again, we came back on a short furlough, like just a few weeks. Mm. But during that first three years, I remember when I would go to the Lord and just cry and my loneliness, what I would be thinking about was my, my parents and my husband's parents not seeing their grandkids and them not knowing Mm -hmm. their parents, their grandparents and all of the things they're missing out on. And just all of these, these expectations in my head that had built up, And then we went back and saw everybody and everyone had moved on. (laughs) They were living their life and they were okay. And that was very, very comforting. And I think from then on, the Lord helped me just like put that away and stop grieving over that because they were just fine. And our kids were just fine. They didn't know any different Mm -hmm. and just start accepting the life that we had. I had Mm -hmm. all of these things like they're going to miss this. They're going to miss that. But all of those things were only in my head, not in theirs. Like they had no clue. They're missing out on anything unless I'm telling them that they are, which. Right. That was something that really shifted, I think, after the first time we visited. That was very helpful. Definitely. I think I have the same personality where I worry for other people. I want them (laughs) to be happy. And then my husband has to constantly remind me, Jennifer, that's not your job. And two, God gives us the grace that we need in yes. our time and God will give them the grace that they need, but I can't have grace for them. So yeah, I think that that's personality because my husband does not have that personality yes. at all. He does not understand <laughs> that about me, but I'm glad that he has the wisdom to <laughs> shake me out of it. So yes, my husband does the same thing. And I think in my mind, a lot of times too, it's sort of a, a control thing. Like I have yeah. control over what's going on and now I don't. So I have to be in control of their 
actual emotions that are going on in their minds. Like, <laughs> Right, which is absolutely so, impossible. <laughs> right, which is ridiculous. So just let it go, Katie. Connie Marujo here, resource promoter for the Help Me Abide podcast. One of our core missions for this podcast is to provide reliable and trustworthy resources to our valued listeners. It's important to note that we do not benefit financially from these promotions in any way. Our sole purpose is to inform you about safe KJV products that are available for you and your family. That being said, EN Design Company offers several quality products that can benefit your family and friends, from scripture-themed magnets, stickers, display card sets, and printables. Additionally, EN Design Company is a service offering customized content to churches. Tracks, bulletins, logos, social media content, etc. There are many Christian design companies, but there are very few that are King James Bible only. EN Design Company makes biblical products that are high quality, classy, and timeless. The scripture display cards feature different themed Bible verses and designs that are easy to read and beautiful. Use them as a sweet reminder of God's love and promises whenever you or others are in need of inspiration and encouragement. Go check out their Ipsy shop. The link will be in the show notes or on our webpage, helpmeabide.com. been on the mission field, which attribute of God has become more real to you? So I wrote several. And then as I thought about them, I thought these are attributes that the Lord has shown himself over seasons. So I feel like he's always revealing himself in new ways. My friend, my strength, my deliverer, my hope, my truth, my security. I knew God as my savior, but I really couldn't grasp, couldn't comprehend him as my own father. That was a huge struggle for me to understand him as a father because the father figure for me was skewed quite a bit. Mm. Um, My father took good care of us. I don't want to disrespect him for what he did for us, but we didn't relate. And the relating that we did do, in my mind, was very much based on my behavior. Mm -hmm. So if I was good, I was accepted. If I wasn't, I wasn't. And then somewhat the church setting I grew up in as well. It was very fear-based, duty-minded. So if I was good, in my mind, I'm not saying that everybody sure, felt that way. Sure. In my mind, because I'm a fear-driven person naturally anyway, it just became my understanding of God. Mm-hmm. And so over time, he's been very patient and faithful to bring me through some really difficult seasons and some kind seasons, some restful seasons where he shows me these different attributes of who he is Mm. and then lets me rest in them. And it's a beautiful thing. So a friend of mine told me, she said, God is a really good supplementer. So if we can look back on our upbringing and think, well, I didn't have that and I didn't have that and I didn't have this figure in my life. Other people have had, so this is why I'm the way I am. But I don't think that that is a valid excuse. I think that God knows all of that. Yes. So to create ourselves as victims is really – a slap in the face to the father who can be all of those things for us. Yes. And I've had to learn that. So God is my father is something that I feel like I'm still learning and growing and still learning 
his complete acceptance. Yeah. Because the father doesn't look at a child and have levels of good and bad. There's you're my child. Like that's it. Right. Done. I might be happy with you right now. I might not like you at the moment, but I love you, accept you the way yes. that you are. And <clears throat> yeah. That was very hard for me to to understand through the years. So Yeah. So I had the opposite experience, which I think the enemy will use any experience to mess you up. So yes. I had a really fantastic father who was a great example of our heavenly father in every way. And then I married a really fantastic man who mm. was a amazing father to our children in every way. So my struggle mm. was needing God at all. I mm. didn't need God because the men in my life were filling all of the, the security, the safety, the love, the protection. God had to strip all of that away. Mm. And he did that through me having a special needs child and Brett totally not understanding and not to his detriment. I mean, there's no way that he could understand, like we're talking about the female emotion. So I had right. nowhere to go. So God knew what he was doing there to strip all of my security away and to realize that I was putting all of my faith in, in man. I actually feel like that's exactly my testimony on the other end. My husband became this pillar mm. and because I was so needing and wanting acceptance, approval and security, all my eggs were in that basket. And it was like, right. that's a, that's a really huge build of fit. Like you can't yes. get somebody that to try and yes. live up to. That's insane. But in my mind, you know, he was all the things that he yes. was supposed to be. And I wasn't, so I had to live up to this come to find out, oh, like, and he likes all these other people too, who are not doing any of these things that I'm doing. Right. So where is my value? And I yeah. had created a life where my value was what I did. Yes. And I didn't understand the value of who I am mm. to him and, mm. and to my savior. So interesting that you said that. That's exactly where God brought me to, where he stripped me to the very last possible escape of right. this is, you know, I'm going to be rescued when this happens. And he had to be the only thing that could fill the gap. The only thing. And I remember the day I got to that point and my mother ended up calling her that day or my mom wasn't one I ran to for spiritual things, but for some mm -hmm. reason we talked that day and she said, but Katie, the Lord is your shepherd. And in that moment I realized, no, I haven't been making him my shepherd. Mm, right. So that was, yeah. A very um, good day in my life, though it was probably the worst day of my life. Exactly. I totally agree. It was the yes. worst time of my life, but the best time of my life. God designs the specific trial that you need. It's different for everybody. And those were very, very, very lonely days. Very yes. lonely days because nobody understood. But again, it, it brought me to God does understand. He's Emmanuel, God with us. I remember crying out to the father and telling him that, where are you? Yes. I don't know where you are. Yeah. I can't feel you. Yeah. I can't sense you. And I knew that I had in the past. Mm -hmm. I knew he was there before. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize how far I had strayed from you are everything to, yes. oh, you're not everything. I need this. Yes. And I need that. And you didn't come through for me here. So. You know, so it was quite a stripping and he had to be, I feel like he had to be silent so that 
I realized how much I needed him and that he was everything. Yeah, so. it was extremely humbling because I thought, like like you, I was workspaced. I was doing everything right. right. <laughs> so how come you're not there and how come you're not talking to me? It was like two years of silence for me. Job, I really related to him because Oh, I did all- too. I lived in Job. Yes, and I would tell I people that after and they were like, oh, I don't like Job. But I was like, oh, that was like the best book for me. I would yes. read it constantly. Job and the Psalms. It was Job and the Psalms. Yes. And that was like my lifeline. Yes. I just- and then slowly he started talking to me. I think once I got to my bottom and I surrendered and I said, you know what? I can't do this. I, I need you. And then he started giving me value, I guess. The song would come to my mind. He knows my name. I would think he knows all the hairs on my head. And I started realizing that God loved me, like you're exactly what you're saying for who I was Mm -hmm. and not what I did. Mm -hmm. Now, faith without works is dead. We all know that. We still need to do work, but that's not the value. I do the work out of love for him, not out of if I do this, give me a blessing or, or I'll merit your favor. The, pre- to- the pressure was gone, right? The pressure left. The pressure was gone. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I get it. Oh, it's exciting to talk to somebody who I feel like went through the same exact thing that I did. Mm. It's, it's almost actually a little bit weird, but. I actually just wrote, you were saying faith and I wrote that down for one of the points that faith is the action of our belief. So it's not like yes. we get an out because, oh, I'm accepted and beloved, but it just motivates yeah. us to go do it more. Well, you are all that matters. So I definitely yeah, it does. have a reason even more now to to do everything yes. you'd, you'd have me do. So Exactly. If you love me, keep my commandments. Yes. I love you so much. I want to do what you want me to do. You know, just like yes. your husband. Like I, I want to please him because I love him. Not yes. because he's going to give me a trophy at the end of the day, you know. Yes. Yeah. Just a different a different level for sure. Okay, sorry. I talk too much. It's so good. Um was there a specific time where God's fatherhood provided comfort and security in times of difficulty or uncertainty? Yes. I wanted to tell a story here for that one about one of our sons, our oldest son actually. So you know you were in Africa for a time. The medical part of the mission field. Mm-hmm. Definitely scary. So here it's not much better. So when our son Santino was, he was 13 years old and we had just had our watch night service and he preached his first sermon. And I was like seven months pregnant with our, our 10th son. All of a sudden Santino was sick one day. He was like throwing up. When he gets sick, he usually gets it really bad. So I wasn't worried. We just were kind of like, okay, go upstairs so nobody else gets it, right? We don't want to pass it around. Right. So he was upstairs just throwing up, but then it wasn't stopping. Hmm. So it was like a whole day. And I still wasn't worried. We weren't worried. He came down and would sit with us, but he really wasn't strong. And he didn't get strong for the next few days. And he didn't want to eat for the next few Hmm. days. It was very unusual. And then he started losing weight and not looking well. So we tried to take him to the doctor. And again, no trust whatsoever in the medical world here. You start dealing with the medical world in another country. It's like a whole different world. It really is. So we didn't want to go to the local government hospital. So there's actually a private little Euro hospital right down the road from us. So we took him there and they didn't find anything, said it was a virus, sent us home, gave him an IV. And we were like, this isn't a virus. We know what a virus does. The kids would all be sick. Right. So we wanted to go back. After a few more days, we waited it out. He wasn't getting better. 
So somewhere around two weeks had gone by and they weren't finding anything. We were frustrated. But I don't remember being panicked or wondering what was going to happen. He sort of got better for a short time. There were a few days where he sort of perked up and ate a little bit. And then he got bad again a few Mm -hmm. days later. And so we had left him home. This was on a Sunday morning. We had gone to church and he just, we had like these big bean bags in our house. So he was laying there when I left. And when we came back in, I saw him and I literally thought, my husband too, we looked at him and we were like, it's like looking at death. He was Mm. gray. He looked like he was going to die. And we didn't know what to do. I stayed home with him that night and tried to give him broth, which he threw up. And when he threw up, it was black. And I was like, this is really, really bad. We went back into the hospital the next day. My husband called on another man who was a Bulgarian to speak to them, which would usually get things done better than we could. And it did work. They started moving and getting more tests run. So finally, at that point, a guy came in and said, it's just the flu left. Well, there just happened to be a child surgeon on duty that day. And they asked him to come and take a look. He came in the room. He looked at Santino, felt around and said, this guy needs surgery. And he needed it yesterday. Wow. So I was expecting Sunny and our kids were home. We had little ones. So thankfully the hospital was just right down the road. So we were taking shifts back and forth. So they took him in for surgery and I was there when they brought him back and to this day, I'll never forget the screams of him coming down the hallway mm. on the bare, awful table with, you know, nothing. They picked him up with a sheet, put him on the bed and left him and left the room. <sighs> he was moaning and crying out all night long. Oh. And I didn't know what to do. I was exhausted and he was just not himself, not all there. I knew that, but it, he was in pain as well. And finally, I kept... Mm calling for people to come help. Finally, they brought in an IV to give him some pain medicine. There, as you probably remember, they don't give people stuff unless you pay for it or you ask because Mm -hmm. they're not going to charge you. It's just ridiculous. So, of course, there was nothing extra done to help him. So I went home, I don't know, somewhere through the middle of the night when he was finally resting. My husband came back. Then we shifted again in the morning. We switched shifts. So I was there around 10 or 11 in the morning when the – surgeon was scheduled to come see him. Amazing blessing. And this is, I don't even know where this guy is to this day, but on duty that time at that time was a Christian doctor Wow, who we had heard of and met once or twice in passing, but we didn't know he worked at that hospital Hmm. and he was on duty that day. And I remember him standing in the back of the room and the surgeon coming in with his helpers, the surgeon, I don't believe was a saved man at all. But his helpers were there, and when he came in and he saw Santino, he started moving things along quickly. They put a tube in, Mm. a drainage tube, and they really started helping him. Mm. And I remember holding Santino's hand and knowing that that man was back there praying. Like, you Mm -hmm. know how there's – like you're in a fog moments, Mm -hmm. and you can sense the spiritual part around you? And so it was like the angels were coming and moving stuff with this Mm. heathen surgeon Mm. to fix our son. And our Christian friend in the back was just, it was like he was aware. We didn't ever say anything. We never talked. But it was a really Mm. surreal time. So from that time on, Santino started to get better. So that was was just amazing. What was Um, his illness? 
he was diagnosed with appendicitis, which had uh, burst. And oh, it had man. Burst, it had burst all throughout his abdomen. But the first time it burst, um, it naturally seals itself off to keep the infection. So that was the period where he had seemed a little better, uh, but he actually wasn't better. And then it had opened again. So, and this is our surgeon's words later. He said, I went in, he had done the first cut. I went in and something told me to feel around in there. Wow. He was just intending on taking out the appendix. And when he felt around, he realized there were abscesses all over. Uh, and so he opened the rest of them up cleaned it out and he saved his life wow so it was all the lord yeah it was all the lord and so there were two really amazing things of that whole time first i look back it was as though the lord had given this cloud of grace mm. that landed the day santino got sick and i remember the day where i felt like oh it's gone mm. now there wasn't panic nick and i weren't at each other's throats we weren't everything was just a smooth wow. steady the Lord's grace yeah. bringing us through that for some purpose. Mm -hmm. And that was amazing to be a part of and know he had done that. And then there was this, that one night, there was that horrible, horrible night where he had come off the operating table and been brought in and the cries and the pain. And for a week after his surgery, I would go to bed every night replaying mm. it in my head and cry yeah. and cry. Like, I, how can mm. I live with this? And I remember after he got better, like I worked up the courage to ask him. So I was like, you know, what was it like yeah. <laughs> coming out of the the operation and everything? He goes, I don't really remember anything from that first night wow. at all. So it, it hadn't even, you know, left that impression on him at all. So those were just, those were just amazing things that God had us walk through just so I could brag on yeah. God. I think that's the only yeah. reason I can show what he did and how he mm. brought us through that and how that his grace was. Yeah. Enough. Peace that passeth understanding. I love it. And you could only experience it when you need it. Yeah. I remember asking my dad, I was, I'm a fearful person. So I remember asking him, dad, I'm so afraid to die. I'm so afraid to die. I think about it all the time. And he said, Jen, God's not going to give you the grace until you need it. You don't have the grace for that right now. But like mm -hmm. you said, he gave you that cloud of grace for the moment. Mm -hmm. And then when you didn't need it anymore, it lifted. It's just amazing. Yeah. Really powerful. That's yeah. great. Can you describe a time while you were on the field where you had to completely surrender an area of your life to God's perfect will? This is sort of the pre-story to Santino's trial, actually, because this happened years before. And I feel like it was a foundation for what we went through after. It gave us, the, for me, the ability to trust God, I think, through that. Mm -hmm. But we were on the field for about five years. And, you know, like the first little bit is sort of a honeymoon period where you are getting used to everything and it's exciting and new and you're learning. And then somewhere around the five-year mark, it's kind of like, okay, are we really in this for the long haul? Yeah. You know? <laughs> so we were there and I knew at this point, I, I, le I learned the language enough where I was able to speak with people freely at this point. I understood what the doctors were saying. I understood where people, how people think, the fact that there's no um, sanctity of life. Life is is very cheap. They don't care. You know, in our maternity hospital that we go to, which is a private hospital and it's pretty decent, but you, you turn right to go see your baby at meltdown and you turn left to get your abortion. It's just wow. that common. It's like, oh, you're going to have an abortion. It's as common as saying, what'd you have for lunch today? It's just, wow. that's just the way that they are. Life is not precious at all. Mm. So, you know, I'm learning all of these things and we're 
expecting our seventh child, who was a boy, Rafa. And we never picked our names this early on, but we picked his name ahead of time. And it means, it's Raffaele, which means Jehovah has healed, if you don't know the, mm. the meaning. And we just love that name. So we were settled on it early on, within, as soon as we knew he was a boy. So I was, I was about three months along, and we got a check. This was in December or November. We got a check from a family in Alaska for $5,000. Wow. Yes, out of the blue. And we had no big you know, ministry push coming. Usually if we got money, there was a purpose. We knew sure. God provided for this specific reason. And this one we were kind of baffled. We were like, I don't, we don't know what it's for. Well, a few uh, weeks into the new year, this was 2009, I had a major bleed one day. I woke up and there was blood everywhere in my room. So we went to the doctor. I thought I lost the baby, but the baby was fine. Hmm. But I had placenta previa. She diagnosed me mm-hmm. with placenta previa. So my husband was praying that the Lord is going to use this, the great man of faith he is still to this day. The Lord's going to use this mm. to show this communist doctor that he can heal and how great he is. And Katie's going to be healed. So mm. we're going to have the baby here and everything's going to be great, right? In my mind, I was immediately panicking. Like, I can go back sure. to work. I want to be safe. They'll take care of the baby. <laughs> yeah. If Placenta preview, of course, I was researching everything and finding all the worst things possible, which you could be oh, yeah. out, the baby could be born early, mm-hmm. they don't have NICUs that are ready for that kind of thing here, forget it. So, you know, I'm thinking of the, all the worst case scenarios and the horrible way these people are going to treat my baby and not care for this baby. And they don't know what to do. And they don't, mm. people, people, people don't know instead of God, God, he knows. Yeah. And I, I didn't want to trust God like my husband, I did not want to. Mm. I thought he was being silly, not silly, but almost. Yeah. Illogical. Yeah. Yes. Right. (laughs) So in my mind, I was not telling him this. I wasn't saying it flat out, but in my mind, I was feeling this way. He had a um, conference he was going to be in in March. And that was about how long I could go before I couldn't fly any longer. So if I was going to go back to the States, that was like the cutoff. I could go with him then. We would get someone to stay with the kids and and I would go back to the States and prepare to have the birth there. So we would go back to the doctor every couple of weeks and have her check. And he every time he was he was sure that placenta was going to move up. He mm-hmm. was just so sure. He was trusting God, full mm-hmm. of faith, you know, telling the people at the church. We're praying for this, and I believe God's going to do this. And I would just be like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting terrified. I was mm. terrified. Yeah. I also am fearful by nature, very mm-hmm. fearful. And I, and into my, to me, I thought I get, I can go back home. I can be with my mm-hmm. parents. I can be mm-hmm. safe there. They'll take care of me. I'll be in a good place. I'll be safe, secure. The baby's okay. Will be, you know, all of these comfort securities that I wanted for myself, Mm -hmm. really, instead of really trusting the Lord with this. All the way up to, I think, week 28, 29, no change. In fact, it gotten lower. Um, She was actually talking about a C-section possibility if things didn't move. So there wasn't any change. So Nick bought tickets. And around my 30th week or so, I flew with Dominic, our youngest at the time, back to my parents' And his mom and sister came and watched the kids for a time until he got back. And then he was back with our five little ones by himself. So in my mind, this was something really, that was going to be really good. I got to America. I got to my parents. And 
made my first doctor appointment and everything. And within a few days, I realized that I had made one of the biggest mistakes of my life. Mm. I was at my parents and it was nothing that I thought it would be. It was horrible. Mm. I was not in my place. I was away from my husband. I wasn't taking care of our children. And my parents, they didn't understand our life the way that Mm -hmm. we thought, believed what we were doing, even though they were happy to have me. So it was everything I thought it was going to be. It was not. And it was horrible. I would go to bed crying every single night. It was awful. Tell the Lord, you know, I'm just so sorry that I didn't trust you. I know you Mm. had wanted me on this and I didn't. And I regret it now, but like I was stuck. What am I going to do now? Yeah. I'm there to have the baby. So I made my appointment for the doctors and it was like another week before I got an ultrasound scheduled. And so I went to have the ultrasound and I was probably around 32 weeks. I had a friend come with me, a mother of 13, who's a, a, a really close friend. And my mom, she was actually working nearby. She's a nurse. So they mm-hmm. were they were there at the ultrasound. And it was awesome. I got to see the baby like in 5D. So they were checking me. And Aww. all of our baby's heads have always been down. This baby, Rafa, his head was up, wow. which I'll never forget. And I have a picture of it because the placenta, if the placenta is down, the head's usually up. Like, like they're flipped usually. Yeah. So it always stuck out to me. I remember seeing his face like looking at me. So she's checking me, checking, checking. Finally, she's like, okay, I'm going to look at the placenta now. And we're all kind of like holding our breath. And she's like, everything looks great. Like it's all, wow. I don't know what those doctors were talking about. It looks great. She's like, she's like, maybe you can talk your husband into letting you stay a little longer. Like, oh you're my fine. Goodness. You're fine. You're good to go. And I'm thinking, you have no idea, lady. Like you have no idea. Wow. I was my mom was crying. My friend was over there watching and, um, so it was just a beautiful moment. And my husband was ready on Skype when I got home. He had stayed up till like two in the morning. So Aww. he got on. He's like, so what happened? What did the doctor say? And I said, buy me a ticket because I am coming home. Like, that's it. <laughs> so the Lord had had to take me across the world and mm. give me what I thought I wanted to snap me back to, Katie, you can trust me. Aww. So Raffaele, Michael Malucci was born on his due date, perfectly fine with no issues, natural delivery in Bulgaria. Wow. And his name Jehovah has healed, which he'll carry till the day he dies. He also, which is really special, he shares a birthday with his brother Vito. And Aww. Vito was a twin, but we lost one of them. Aww. God is so amazing. So yes. amazing. Just the little yes. details. That is really special. Great story. What have you learned from the people you serve? Okay. So I've learned that I cannot change anyone. Yeah. It is only the work of the Father that can. Yeah. So many times I tried to change people's circumstances or, you know, when we first moved, it was so much sympathy for what they have to live with. My approach in my mind was if I can get them out of this situation and put them in this situation to have all the things that I had, spiritually speaking, that's all they'll need. But obviously we can't change man's heart. Yeah. So yeah. it was a huge turning point for me and very relieving as well. Right. Mrs. Goddard, she's our pastor's wife, and she just recently did a bridal shower. And she mentioned the quote, people don't change people, love changes people. And that really resonated with me because God is love, right? So it's mm. all-encompassing quote that we could love them, but God's going to yes. have to do the work. So yeah, that's great. Great truth. What advice could you offer for those considering missionary work or looking to make a difference in the world? 
something we told our boys through the years is to stay open, humble, honest, and teachable. Mm. And then God can be trusted. I wrote that down. But only he can be trusted. So to survive on the mission fields, you have to come. I feel like you have to come to the place where you stop trusting everybody. And it's hard to get to that place because we are very trusting as Americans. We're kind, gracious, trusting people. And but the rest of the world is not. So you have to come to a point where you're like, you realize people can't be trusted at all, but that you also realize God can be trusted. So, yeah. and then the last thing was, it's definitely learn the language, learn the language. It doesn't matter mm. where you go. It doesn't matter if they speak some English. I really believe you cannot know the people and who they are until you know their language. So it's, yeah. it's really important to us. Yeah, I agree. And the people in Africa, I don't know how Bulgaria is. I'm sure every country is different. They they lifted you to a certain amount of respect when you learned their language. When you made effort to come to where they were, that, that meant something to them. Our podcast verse is Psalm 91.1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. What verse has helped you abide in the secret place? Um, Romans 12, 1 and 2 is one of my favorites about being a living sacrifice Mm -hmm. and the part where it points out that it's a reasonable sacrifice. It's not something like above and beyond. This is just the reasonable thing to do is to be a living sacrifice. Right. Lamentations 3, 21 through 23 has been a great comfort for me through the years. That's this I recall to my mind. Therefore, have I hope it is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed. Yeah. Those are favorites. And then um, Isaiah 44, 10, which is fear thou not. Hmm. Is that right? Fear thou not. For I am with thee. thee. Yeah. Be not dismayed. Yeah. For I am thy God. Mm-hmm. And I I noticed, I looked it up. You've probably heard this before too, but how many times fear not as a command mm-hmm. is in the Bible? Yeah. With 365, is, right? Yes. <laughs> one for every day. For and every I day. need it every day. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. Yeah. Love it. That's great. Other than the Bible, what resource has been the most helpful to you in your Christian walk? Well, I would say preaching. Yeah. And I think God made that very important to me in our first couple of years. We didn't have a church yet. My husband was picking up the language. There literally is not a good church to go to here. So Mm -hmm. we were on our own in the wilderness. Wow. But somebody somewhere... Um, from First Baptist, they sent nice. us two cassette tapes of two different preaching sermons every week. Awesome. So that was my meat every week yeah. I would play those tapes. Yeah. And when we started our church, they stopped coming. So interesting. So wow. The Lord sort of put an emphasis on that for me. Preaching does something for me, and it's biblical through the mm-hmm. foolishness of preaching. So yeah, yes. perfect. Yes. Do you have a favorite preacher that you listen to? We really enjoy James Knox. Oh my goodness, that's my favorite preacher person. Are you kidding me Are right you now? Serious? I can't with you. Most people don't know who he is, so I'm really excited to hear that. Yes, we appreciate him so much. We have every single one of his books. I listen to his sermon every Sunday morning oh. getting ready to go to church. He's my favorite. He's done some amazing series. There was one on depression uh-huh. he did recently that was yep. fabulous. Yeah, I just so appreciate his his take on and the Bible. What I love about him is there's people who are good at preaching and there's people that are good at teaching and he's good at both. 
he is definitely mm-hmm. exposing truths from the Bible, mm-hmm. but makes them practical to our everyday life. I don't know. I just, I have listened to him since I was in junior high. Oh, I, really? Yeah. He's been a really big influence in my life. And you knowing his name is just amazing. That? No one knows him. Yeah. We'd only heard about him the last, I don't know. Yeah. Five, six years, I would say we really started yeah. um, hearing about him. Katie, it was so nice to get to know you. I feel like I'm talking to an old friend, although we've just met. So it's very um, fun. thank you for taking your time to prepare and for doing this out of your comfort zone, you said. So I, I do appreciate it. In a place of poverty, in a place where millions are so empty, with no one to share God's love, that's the place where I want to be, so I can tell them how Jesus died for me, sent by his Father up above, here am I, Lord, I will go, I'll count the cost, of luxury and in a church where few seats are empty with many friends close by is where most Christians want to be so they can live their lives most comfortably while they allow the world to die Christians to stand
Thank you so much for listening to the Help Me Abide podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as we did. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us on social media or through our podcast website, www.helpmeabide.com. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. The Help Me Abide podcast is a ministry of the Faith Baptist Church of Wildemar, California, pastored by Pastor Bruce Goddard. That being said, it's important to remember that this podcast is not a substitute for regular church attendance. We encourage all of our listeners to be faithful members of a local, independent, Bible-believing Baptist church. My heartfelt gratitude goes out to Mrs. Tammy Goddard, who facilitates the podcast, Lisa Grubb, who expertly directs our social media outreach, Connie Marujo, who tirelessly promotes our resources, and Lindsay Osgood, who provides the perfect musical accompaniment to the interviews. Without our amazing team, this podcast would not be possible. Also, big thanks to Faith Music Missions and Hiles Anderson College for allowing us to use their beautiful music on our podcast. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back soon with more inspiring content.